So yesterday, my third daughter, Maggie, ran a half marathon down at the oceanfront. Um, a 10K. Yeah, oh, she was trying to correct because a half marathon would be another three, another seven miles, right? It was just a 10K. But she, she went out there. Thank you, Maggie. Uh, thank you. Uh, Maggie uh, has taken up running, and, and uh, that is a wonderful thing. I used to run. Now, I don't know how many people who are in their 50s have said that. I used to run. I, and it was, it's true. I used to run until running led to uh, a, an, in, an unutterable pain in my joints. I used to run. I used to run, um, and when I was in high school, I ran long distances. I would run uh, for our track team. I ran the 3,200-meter and the 1,600-meter races. And, and certainly, I learned a lot of things about running. You would think that to run means that you just, you know, slap on your shoes, and they say go, and you run until they say don't go, right? But what I learned, especially when I got into middle school and high school, what I learned about running is that there is a technique that helps you run better. Now, certainly, there are runners, and they have just this natural uh, ability, uh, this competency, this genetic freakishness that can, they can slap on shoes or go barefoot and run circles around the rest of us. But for those of us who are not so genetically inclined, those of us who don't have that kind of capacity, a diaphragm that can expand like that and then shrink down, we have to learn techniques to help us run faster and better. And so my coaches would take me, and uh, the reason they gave me the long distance is because the longer you run, uh, really, it's more of a mind game than it is a skill game. And I didn't have a lot of skill. Uh, and so my mind was the only thing they said, we can manipulate that to help you run better. <laughs> but there were certain fundamentals that they wanted to teach me when I ran. And they would work and, and, and diligently develop those basic fundamentals of running long distances to help me run better and further and faster. Over the last several weeks, we have been looking at fundamentals, the fundamentals of who we are as followers of Jesus, the, the, um, the ingredients of what it means to become a follower of Jesus. Now, we have been looking at this um, about who we are, our identity, and by the way, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a singular identity. That is, I am part of God's family. I'm a son or a daughter of the living God. That is our identity. And, and so as we look at who we are in Christ, we want to be able to share who we are in Christ with other people. We need, we must, there's an imperative from Scripture. There is a, a yearning within us to share with others how we became part of God's family because, friends, unless you do it God's way, you will never be part of God's family. You must do it God's way, and so that's what we share, okay? 
And um, we want to share with passion. You know, there is a passion that should drive us to tell others of uh, who are separated from God by their sin, how that they can find life through faith in Christ. There, it, there must be a passion in us. And that passion is born in us, not based upon a preacher preaching a good message or, or a Bible study or a life group leader um, uh, compelling us or uh, uh, donuts. Those, those things don't compel us Don't give us a passion to share our faith. But if we will remember that once I was dead in my sin and my trespass, once I was separated from God and I had no purpose or meaning or satisfaction in life, if we will recall that once I was far from God, but then I was found by God and through faith in Jesus brought into God's family, that's what gives us a passion. We must share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others because we have a passion to share what has happened to us. I don't know if you know this, but I'm a University of Tennessee volunteer fan. Have been since birth. I was born in Knoxville. My extended family is from Knoxville. I'm a South Knoxvillian, and if you're from any part of that area, you know South Knoxville is a special kind of Knoxville. And so my whole family, a University of Tennessee Volunteers fan, and I have a passion to share with you. As a Tennessee Volunteer fan, they are going to be number one in the nation this week. And if you're a Georgia fan or, God help you, an Ohio State fan, I'm so sorry. I'm talking a big game right now. I'm, I'm just playing a little bit. But, but I haven't had anything to cheer about in like a decade. So, you know, give me something. But, you know, I'm, I mean, here's the thing. I love the Tennessee Volunteers, and I have a passion to share. How much more should we who have been made alive together with Christ have a passion to share with others what has given us life? Okay? Well, we need to have a passion to share. We need to have an urgency to share. There's an urgency that we need to have, an urgency born from the fact that people apart from faith in Christ, people who are separated from God by sin, are dead, and they need to be made alive. And you can't make yourself alive if you're dead. We need to have an urgency The kind of urgency that we should have if we see a burning building and we're walking past that burning building and we hear screams inside, we should have an urgency to go and rescue those who are perishing. That's the kind of urgency we need to have every day as followers of Jesus. We need to have this urgency. It's not an urgency born from a fundamentalist ideological kind of perspective that uh, seeks to pursue some political game, but rather it is an urgency born from, I once was dead too. I want to help you find life. And I believe the only way for anyone to find life is through faith in Jesus Christ. We need to have an urgency. You Ohio State fans, please don't hold it against me, okay? I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize. Okay. Not really. Okay. But we need to have an urgency, and we need to have, 
we, we need to have this sense of passion, but we also need to have clarity. See, what we're really trying to do and what we've been trying to do over the last several weeks is just to gain a sense of clarity of, of what it means to become a follower of Jesus or to be rescued by God's grace. We, we need clarity. You know, you know, when you're talking to someone who is far from God and you spout off some theological conundrum like supralapsarianism or uh, post-lapsarianism or pre-lapsarianism or um, whatever, and you're like, oh, what's a lapsarian? Well, I don't know, even though I have a PhD in this stuff. But the idea that they care about all those intricacies, they don't. It's like the blind man of John chapter 9. He was brought before a religious court, and they were saying, uh, tell us about this man, Jesus. And they kept hounding him and hounding him, and here's what he said. He said, I don't know what you want me to tell you, but here's what I know. I was blind, I met Jesus, and now I can see. It's that kind of clarity that we need to share. And to help us with that clarity is what we're doing with three circles. And so, uh, go ahead and turn in your copy of Scripture to Romans chapter 10. We've, we've walked through parts of this conversation, and we haven't really had a conversation yet. That's what happens next week and the next week. As we end up this series, we are going to move further down the road, and how, to, how do I have this conversation? But if I may, if you'll let me, and you can't stop me, but if you'll let me, uh, I'm going I'm to have this kind of conversation here for the next few minutes, Okay. So as we go along the lines, learning the fundamentals, the basics, trying to put the basics in our hands of how to share the gospel, we're talking about these three circles. But really what it comes down to is how do you begin a conversation with someone? How do you, how do you spark that conversation? If I'm on the ship or I've, if I'm deployed or if I'm at school or if I'm in my neighborhood raking leaves or if I'm at the uh, grocery store, if I'm in an office building at, at an elevator, how do I spark a conversation that could turn into a conversation of gospel proportion? How do I do that? Well, there are a lot of different ways, but I am old school, so I'm going to give you the old school help that I had. There's an old school help that, that was given to me and that I taught, um, uh, and it's called FIRE, F-I-R-E. It's an acronym. If I'm going to get into a conversation with someone, and usually I have to have quick conversations. And the reason is because the minute they find out that I'm a preacher, uh, that conversation will shut down pretty, pretty, pretty significantly, uh, especially if they find out I'm a Southern Baptist preacher. Oh, you know, uh, so I have to I have to move along the conversation pretty quickly. But the conversation begins for me with, with this fire acronym. Begins with F family. I'm going to talk to you about my family. I'm, I, I want to hear about your family. So if I'm standing at the base of an elevator in the parking lot over at Crossroads, and and uh, there's someone there, and 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 I say, Hey, how are you doing? Look, I've seen you here um, uh, several times. I'm not stalking, but. I just wanted to meet you, and my name's Eric Thomas, and, and I, I office here. Do you office here? Yes, I office here. What's your name? My name's Bill. Hey, Bill, I'm Eric. Man, it's great. I, I, can I tell you something? I don't know if you've heard this, but I, I just wanted to share something with you. I have a granddaughter. Her name is Nora. I'll slide that in pretty quickly, and, and, and we'll start that conversation. I want to tell them I, I, 
I always talk about my wife. I have a wife. Her name's Edie. She's wonderful. She's patient with me. Man, it's, it's wonderful. She is a, and I'll use this language, she is a gift of God's grace to me, uh, one that I do not deserve, and I'm thankful for her. I'll talk about my four daughters. Oh, yeah, and God gave me four daughters. You have four daughters? Yes, I have four daughters. Oh, my goodness, you're trying for a son? No, man, never, never. Uh, <laughs> But I have four daughters, and, and they're wonderful, and they are gifts of God's grace. So you see, I'm bringing in, uh, this is how God has blessed me. And, and uh, has it ever worked, you know, and, and I used to be worried about boys as they were dating boys. And, 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 but man, God has been so faithful. He's given me two sons-in-law that are spectacular, and I'm so thankful for my sons-in-law. Um, it, do you have family? So I'm talking about me. I'm laying some vulnerability on the line, opening the door. By the way, Jesus did this. This is what we're going to look at in a couple of weeks. But Jesus did this. So I'm laying some vulnerability on the line. And Bill, do you have, you know, you have family in the area? And, and regardless of how he answers that, he's going to answer it some way. No, I hate my family. Okay, well, let's move on. Now, not a joke. I mean, really, you'll get that. No, I, 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 don't, I don't really have any connection with my family. Oh, well, what do you do for fun? That's the I, interests. Now, what do you do for fun? What's your hobby? You know, one thing I love to do, I love to go fishing. Fishing is my hobby. Man, I, I am a fanatic about fishing. What do you do? And you've got to be ready for anything they say because they don't know that you're a Southern Baptist preacher. And so they're going to use some pretty sometimes crazy, wild, ah, kind of examples of some of the things they do for fun. And you've got, to be, you've got to be ready for that and be okay with that. Don't get all panicked and freaky. Just let them share what they do because you're moving to the gospel conversation. So you move from family to interest, and then you get to a more serious thing, religious background. That's the R, F-I-R, religious background. If I'm talking to somebody about their religious background, in today's vernacular, uh, are you spiritual? Do you consider yourself a spiritual person? Or um, uh, do you go to church anywhere? Or maybe I've been able to bring up in the, in, uh, you know, just this past weekend, we had a great event at church. And I love doing stuff at church, talking about my interests. And we had this great family event called Trunk or Treat at our church. It was great. Do you go to church anywhere? See, you move right into religious background. And many people will say, well, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Just a little clue. If somebody says to you, or if you have said, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, can I just say you're saying exactly the same thing? Philosophically, uh, in the history of philosophy, religious and spiritual are synonymous. They are the same thing. But that's okay. You don't have to correct anybody. Uh, just say, oh, okay, well, uh, what do you... What, what do you uh, what do you mean by spiritual? Or, or I'm religious. I have a religious background. When you attend church, where do you go? I, well, I go to, you know, I go to Timbuktu Baptist Church. I love it when I say, well, if you go to church, where do you go? They go, oh, I go to this, this church. It's a First Baptist Church. And I'm like, oh, you do? Do you know the preacher there? Oh, no, no. I, I can't think of his name. It's an old guy. <laughs> really? Is he tall or short? Oh, he's really tall. When was the last time you went? Oh, 1982. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and that's okay. That, that's no big deal. But I, I want to protect them from embarrassment that they'll have in just a minute when they figure out that I'm the pastor of that church. Um, they'll always say this. They'll, they'll always say, are you, the, are, you, are you the pastor there? 
And, and they really said that when I was in my 30s and in my 40s. And they still say it when I'm in my 50s. Are, are you the pastor there? And I'm like, yeah, I'm the one that they shoot arrows at. I'm the guy. I'm the one with the picture and the bullseye in the middle, and they shoot darts. You know, I'm, I'm the guy. You're the guy? Yeah, I'm the guy. I thought you'd be taller. Um, kid you not. So anyway, so, so you, you move, and they start talking about spiritual things, and that's good. However, and they're going to talk, depending on who they are, they're going to have a wide range of spiritual experience. And they're going to talk about their spiritual journey, and they're going to talk about spiritual beliefs and that kind of thing. But you want them to talk about those things because those are the things that give you an inroad to share. Hey, listen, um, yeah, in your opinion, this, this is the E, exploratory question. So they're talking about their spiritual experience, religious background, uh, and, and you want to move them toward uh, this gospel conversation, you've got to ask some exploratory question. One exploratory question that's really easy. Hey, in your opinion, what does it take to have a meaningful and satisfying life? That's a great question. What, in your opinion, what does it take to have a meaningful and satisfying life? The Bible calls that eternal life, but, but we're talking to somebody that may or may not be versed in Scripture. So you want to use language that everybody understands. What does it take to have a meaningful life and a satisfying life? So you ask that. In your opinion, what does it take to have a, a, a full and a satisfying life? And then they'll come up with answers. Or they might say, well, what about you? And I say, oh, my goodness gracious. I, in my religious journey or my spiritual journey, man, I look for, I love it when they ask me that. I look for all kinds of things to give me a full, satisfying life. I, I was raised in church, and this is my language with them. I was raised in church, and, and so uh, as someone goes to church, I thought that the best way to have a satisfying life was to follow the rules that my church set. Have you ever done that? And if they're a church person, they'll say, absolutely. Uh, or if they're not a church person, they'll say, no. I said, so, so it, let me just kind of explain it for you. They would have certain things that, that you would want it. So it's like praying every day or reading your Bible all the time and, and that kind of stuff. And, and so I'd follow those rules and I would think, you know, this is what's going to satisfy me. And, 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 and you know what? And you know what? I, it, it was okay for a while. But one of the things I realized is that being good at being religious can never satisfy the emptiness I was feeling in my heart. I said, have you ever tried something to give you a full and meaningful life and it hadn't worked? And the answer will always be yes, every single time. Because you, you're opening up, have you ever tried anything to give you a full and satisfying life, and it hasn't worked? And the answer is yes. I've never had somebody say no. When they say yes, I say, have you ever wanted to know how to have a satisfying life no matter the dumpster fires that are going on around you? Have you ever, have you ever wanted to know how to have a full and satisfying life no matter the mistakes you make? Have you ever wanted to have a full and satisfying life, no matter how well or how poorly people treat you? Yeah, man. But by this time, their, their radar's going off. 
And they're thinking uh, multi-level marketing. All right? But that's okay. The reason that's okay is because the conversation you're about to have is a supernatural spirit, Holy Spirit, directed and divine encounter. And the Spirit of God is the one that's speaking on your behalf, even as you're sharing the gospel. Now, they may shut down the conversation at that time, and that's okay too. I mean, it's not okay, okay, but you've done your part. You have tried to begin this conversation. You, you've pursued it, and you look for opportunities to pursue it again, but, but you, don't, you don't get offended because they don't want to talk to you about spiritual things and about what it will take for them to have a meaningful life. But if they say yes, it's in that moment you can begin with the three circles. The three circles begins with God's design. If you remember, we looked at God's design in Genesis chapter 1. God made man in his own image and his own likeness. And what that means is, um, and as I'm sharing, God designed us to have fellowship with himself, to be part of his family from the very beginning. And I said, and I'll say, you might not believe Genesis chapter 1, but Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And Genesis, the first book of the Bible, says that God created everything. And in his creative work, he made humanity. And, and they'll usually say something, well, that's myth. I believe in evolution. They'll give something like that. I say, oh, that's okay. But, but this is what the Bible says. So it's trying to tell the story about the origin of humanity. And, and telling the story of the origin of humanity, the Bible tells us that God made us to be part of his family. And I believe that to be true, that, the, that God designed the whole world and human beings in particular to have fellowship with him. But then, Arrow, the this thing called sin happened. I said, and I'll ask them, do you know what sin is? And invariably they can tell me something, usually murder or lying. Uh, that is what sin is. And, and I'll say, okay, yeah, in my life, sin was every time I disobeyed God or any time I refused to obey God. And, and that sin created a brokenness in me, third, uh, second circle. So sin brokenness. And in that brokenness, I was trying to find ways to get back to God. I was trying to find ways to have relationship with him. Sin, because of my sin, Ephesians 2 tells me that I was dead and broken. And I was trying to find a way not to be broken anymore. Have you ever tried a way not to be broken anymore? Absolutely. What have you tried not to be broken? And they'll give a whole list of different things that they've tried not to be broken. And I'll go back to my, what I've already talked about. Well, for me, I tried not to be broken by doing religious stuff. If I was at church all the time and I read my Bible every day, if I was doing those things, that's the squiggly lines, right? These are the things I tried in order not to be broken anymore but it didn't work. Have, have you tried things to make you not feel broken and they didn't work? Oh, yeah. I've got good news, and it's called the gospel, third circle. Gospel literally means good news, and it's a, it, it is a primary term in the Bible that tells us that God sent Jesus to give us a full and satisfying life. The Bible says it this way, John chapter 10, verse 10. Uh, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full and overflowing. God sent Jesus to give us full and meaningful life. And the way he did that was to forgive our sin. Now, forgiving our sin meant that Jesus had to die in our place on a cross. Y'all know, and I'll ask them, you know Good Friday, 
Yeah. You know Easter? Yeah. Oh, well, Good Friday and Easter um, are, are those moments. We, ha- we, had a, uh, we, we had a moment there, and we'll, we're, we're going to be okay. Uh, we, Good Friday and Easter are those uh, holiday celebrations where uh, we talk about Jesus dying and being raised from the dead. Oh, really? I thought Easter was about the, you know, the Easter bunny. No. But we'll, can, can I tell you what the Bible says? The Bible says that Jesus died for us because God loved us so that we could be forgiven. John 3.16. Do you know John 3.16? Yeah, I've heard John 3.16. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God loved you so that he would send Jesus to die for you and pay the price for your sin. And this is how we have a full and meaningful life. We receive what God offers through Jesus. Would you like to know how to receive what God offers through Jesus? And they'll say yes or no, and if they say yes, the Bible tells us that we must repent and believe. Uh, God offers us eternal life. But in order to receive eternal life, a meaningful, a full, and a satisfying life, we must repent our sin and believe on Jesus. Now, we've just gone through the three circles up to this point, repent and believe. Now, Romans 10, 9, and 10 leads us into this conversation about repentance and belief. Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, uh, one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth, confession is made to salvation. If you believe in your heart, God, uh, uh, if, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That picture of being saved is exactly what we're trying to get people to see and to believe and to embrace. We all need to be rescued from what sin has done to us and in us and even through us. And only Jesus can do that. So we must repent and believe. And Mark chapter 1, Jesus said it a little bit differently, but pretty much the same. Mark chapter 1 says, now after John, verse 14, after John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the good news of the kingdom and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. When we're sharing the gospel with someone, the gospel is not complete until we invite someone to repent and believe. We're inviting people to repent their sin. The the sin is what separates us from God. And the only way that we can embrace the gospel, Jesus said, the only way that, that we can embrace it, Paul wrote, was if we repent from our sin. In kids' ministry, uh, this uh, over the last several weeks, they've been asking the question, "What is repentance?" Now, this is in our kids' ministry. Every single week, they're asking the question, "What is repentance?" And then they define repentance and they repeat it in our kids' ministry. This is awesome. They repentance is turning away from our sin 
and turning toward Jesus. That's repentance. Uh, when if, if I'm talking to someone about repentance, I'm going to tell them repentance, no matter whether it's the words used in Old Testament or New Testament, uh, used in the Gospels or in the Prophets or in Paul's letters, no matter where it's used, repentance is a picture of changing direction, changing one's mind, a change of heart. If I'm walking this way, and as I'm walking this way, I'm going to step off a cliff to my own destruction, repentance is saying, that is bad. I turn around, and I walk in a different direction. Repentance says that the way of life that you're living, the way of life that I was living, where sin or self was the Lord of my life is a destructive way to live. There's no way that if I keep doing life this way, I'm going to get any better than what I've had. So I repent, and I turn around, and I turn toward Jesus. That's repentance. So you've been living your life in the same way, in the same direction, doing the same stuff, and expecting different results. What is that called? Insanity. And we must repent. We must turn around. Repentance is when we turn from ourself and our sin and turn toward Jesus. Now, we see this in Romans 10, 9, and 10, where Paul says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's seeing Jesus in a different way, and it's seeing ourselves in a different way. Up to this point in our life, what we've done is we've said, I am the Lord of my life. All I have to do is believe in myself or trust in myself or follow the desires of my own heart or do things my way. Then life is going to be okay. All I have to do is pursue my pleasures or walk the path that I want to walk and everything's going to be okay. That is the essence of a full and meaningful life. But the, the reality is it's not. It's bankruptcy of soul and spirit. And so we must turn away from saying, I'm the Lord of my life, and turn toward Jesus and confess, you are the Lord of my life. And until we do that, we have not repented. The very language that Paul uses says that there is one king, there is one ruler, there is one boss, and you and I are not it. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. We must repent our sin. Repentance is feeling sorry for our sin, but it's more than that. It's turning away from our sin and turning toward Jesus. Jesus said we must repent. Jesus also said we must believe. We must believe. Not only must we repent our sin, we must believe on Jesus. To believe on Jesus means that, that we look to him in all of his majesty and all of his glory and all of his excellence and we say, he is my only hope. He's, he's the only hope I have. I've tried other things and it's left me bankrupt. I've tried, I've tried it my way and it's led to disaster. Jesus is my only hope. On top of that, it is my sin that has separated me from Jesus. 
And Jesus, who died on a cross and was raised from the dead so that I might be made right with God. If we confess with our mouth, Jesus Lord, believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, we shall be, what's the word? Saved. For with the mouth, confession is made into salvation, and with the heart, one believes unto, toward righteousness. Righteousness is a word that says, now you're right with God. The only way we get right with God is through belief that Jesus is the one who takes us there. Only Jesus can make us right with God. Only Jesus, who is and always has been God, who became flesh and bone, who died for my sin upon a cross, was raised from the dead. Only Jesus can pay the price for my sin. Only Jesus can bring me into God's family. Do you believe this? See, it's not enough to repent. We must trust. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I got on an early Monday morning flight from uh, here to there, from Norfolk to, I forgot where we flew, uh, Detroit or maybe or LaGuardia, wherever it was. But it was early in the morning. It was Monday morning. I was tired. I was sleepy. I, I got to the airport just in time to stop at the Starbucks and get me coffee and then walk right on the plane. And I got on that plane, didn't think anything of it, sat down in my seat, didn't think anything of it, and went to absolute decompressed rest as the plane went from takeoff to touchdown, and I didn't think anything of it. But in reality, what I was doing was I was putting my life in the hands of a pilot in a plane. I was putting my life in the hands of a pilot, trusting that he knew exactly where he was going and how to get there, that he had the skill set to take off and to touch down. I was putting my life in the hands of engineers who put a plane together. Do you know, I have no idea how aerodynamics works. I don't know how a plane takes off. Even though we're this close to the Wright brothers, I have no clue how the wind makes the plane lift or how how they can make it change and make the plane land. I have no idea. I don't have to know because I trust the people who put the plane together, and I trust I trust the plane itself. So much so that I rest in that seat. I don't worry. I don't fret. It's not an anxious moment for me. I'm just sitting there. I believe. I believe. That is what faith is. Faith, biblical faith, the faith that's in the Bible, faith is not just saying, I believe that Jesus was. I believe Jesus was a cool cat. I believe Jesus taught some awesome truths. I believe Jesus did some good stuff. Look, James 2 says that even the devils believe that. That's not faith. Faith is where we abandon ourselves in the arms of Jesus and say, you are my only hope from takeoff to touchdown. You're all that I have, and there is no other way for me to find a meaningful life There's no other way for me to find a life without any missing parts. There's no other way for me to be forgiven my sin. There's no other way for me to be made right with God. Jesus, I give you my life. We must repent. We must believe. And until we repent our sin and believe on Jesus we are not saved.
no matter how religious or moral you might be, until we repent our sin and believe on Jesus, we are still dead and broken. But the minute, the moment, the second that the Spirit of God opens our eyes to see Jesus in all of his glory, the minute, the moment that God, by his Spirit, graces us with the faith we need to believe, in that moment, oh my goodness, everything changes. And if I'm talking to someone at that point, I'm saying, look, I don't know how to convince you of this, not even going to try, I'm just telling you what my experience is, telling you what the Bible says. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that once I was empty, trying to fill that emptiness, but once I repented my sin and placed my faith in Jesus, I was made whole, and everything changed. Is that something that you would want? Is that something that you would want? Would you bow your heads with me, please? This morning, online or in the room, if there's never been a moment in your life where you've repented your sin and placed your trust in Jesus, I invite you today to come to that point. I invite you today to say yes to Jesus Christ and say no to your sin and yourself. I invite you today to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. You might say, how do I do that? Well, the Spirit of God right now, he's working in you to do that very thing. To repent means that I today no longer look to myself or to sin to satisfy my soul, but rather I look to Jesus and Jesus alone to satisfy my soul. I repent my sin. I'm saying to God, yes, God, I'm sorry for my sin. But more than that, I turn away from my sin. Not only do we repent, but we believe on Jesus. If you want to enter into God's family and and have a life that is full and meaningful, you got to believe on Jesus. To believe on Jesus means that you believe Jesus died for your sin upon a cross. You believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. You believe that Jesus is your only hope to experience a life that is full and complete. So today, if that's the desire of your heart, I invite you to cry out to God. And next week, we're looking at Romans 10, 13. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love that verse. Today, if you will call upon Jesus... repenting your sin and believing on him is your only hope for rescue, then today you can be saved. How do you call upon Jesus in that way? You can simply talk to God and say, oh God, I, I admit that I am a sinner and that my sin has separated me from you. I believe that Jesus is my only hope for forgiveness, that he died for my sin upon a cross that he was raised from the dead to give me new life. So God, I ask you today, based upon what Jesus has done, will you forgive my sin? Will you bring me into your family? I commit 
myself to you. I confess that Jesus is my Lord. With a prayer or something like that, expressing the desire of your heart, the Bible says that you will be saved. <laughs> Simplicity. You will be saved. So now, Father, it is my prayer that you would take hold of every person online and in this room whom you are drawing to yourself by your Spirit, that you would take them and give them the courage to cry out to you in repentance and faith, and that you would rescue them today so that we might celebrate with them that whoever calls upon your name, the name of Jesus, as Lord, will be saved. And it is in the mighty name, the saving name of Jesus, that we pray these things. Amen.